back, everybody, to the newest episode of thepenpodcast.com. I'm your host, Matt Harms, founder of Pen for Hire, where we offer premier ghostwriting and author coaching services. Also, the creators of the Pen Podcast, where we sit with authors, writers, writing industry professionals, subject matter experts, and all around interesting people. Today, I have the pleasure of being rejoined by a past guest from many months ago, Lisa Tolls. How are you today, Lisa? Great. Nice to see you, Matt. Nice to see you as well. Um, I'm sure a lot of things have been happening since we spoke last, right? Yeah, there's there's a lot that's new. There's a lot that's that's the same too. But yeah, I do have some interesting things to report today. And I'm super excited to talk to you and your community about it. I love it. I love it. Um, for everyone who didn't catch the last episode, Lisa is a crime novelist. She's into some new endeavors as well. And I received my signed copy shortly after our last podcast. So thank you very much. Um, it is actually coming up toward the top of my list to read. Um, after 250 episodes, you'd be amazed how many people send me books. So I do try my best to get through them all. Hopefully by the next time you're on the show, I will have it done. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so please, for those who didn't catch the last episode, give everyone a little bit of a background on yourself, your writing, um, then we can dive into some of your newer projects. Awesome. Um, so I am a crime novelist, um, also a journalist, um, and I live in the Bay Area. And um, I am currently working on a new thriller. And I also have another book that's coming out in June. Um, I work full-time for a tech company called HCL, great company. And I've been supporting um, this company and this project for a long time. And so that's, um, that's something that's kind of similar to other writers in that I balance my kind of writing path and career with a day job. You know, I mean, so everything that we do as writers, Matt, you're a writer, you know, I mean, everything that we do in, in kind of that, um, that sort of centerpiece of our creative life is somehow magically shoved to the sidelines of this nine to five, presumably nine to five, um, um, endeavor um, with our with our careers, and so it's always an interesting toggle, um, figuring out how to negotiate time to write what we want to write and advancing the projects that we want to advance. Whether it's writing, editing, formatting, working on the publishing side of it, working with an agent. I mean, you know, there's so much to the writing journey. So um, yeah, that's that's what I'm continuing to to work on and improve and perfect. And it is <laughs> far from perfect, um, but that's what I'm working on is kind of juggling those those two things. Um, I, I do have a little bit of help there. I'm a member of some professional writing organizations, Sisters in Crime, Mystery Writers, Writers of America, and for the Northern California chapters that I'm part of, really all of the chapters, they have what are called drop-in writing sessions where you gather with other writers on Zoom, you chit chat for five minutes, and then you keep your camera on, but you go on mute and everyone just writes on their own collectively like that for like 45 minutes. And some of them are seven at night, some of them are 10 o'clock at night, they're all different times of day. And, and they're a wonderful way to not only um, build and reinforce and deepen community and relationships, but it's a great way to kind of get yourself on the stick and make sure that you get those words done every day so that you can advance your projects. I love that as resources, um, especially the time slots, because one of the questions I was going to ask you, and I, I don't even remember if we covered this in depth the last time, but the balance of writing with, with a full-time job. I know when I had a full-time job, it was a struggle and then almost impossible 
And then in between that and starting my company, I was writing all the time, managed to get out my novel. And now that I'm running my business, I'm almost back to worse than with the nine to five job because the business has no hours. Yep. I totally understand that. It's, it's very hard. Um, but I think, um, I think writers are inherently organized. Uh, look at, look at it this way, whether you're what's called a pantser or a plotter. So th those, uh, those terms, if you're a pantser, that means that you're writing um, at the seat of your pants. You're not writing, um, spending a lot of time writing copious outlines. If you're a plotter, you're you're copiously planning out your story. You're you're outlining every uh, basically every step of where you're going to go before you write it, um, regardless um, of of which of those styles um, you subscribe to. Writers keep so much in our heads at one time. I mean, there's so much going on up here. Even even if you are um, writing an outline and you're mapping it out, there's still um, there's a lot to creativity. So I think writers are inherently um, organized, and I think that there um, that there are ways um, that there are ways to do that to to negotiate those little pockets of time. I am not a I don't know about you, but I am not a writer who um, who can be creative and be successful um, writing first thing in the morning. I mean, this is early for me. It's seven oh eight a.m. now in California. This is pretty early. I'm usually up this time of day working. But um, I never, ever write this early in the morning. It's always like, you know, maybe on my lunch hour for 20 minutes or something, but almost always after dark. I'm just a night owl historically. So that, that's, that's how it is for me. How about you? So what's interesting is I've notoriously gotten some of my best writing done early in the morning, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. However, I cannot get up at that hour of the morning. I had a, a stretch for two or three months where I was doing it religiously. It was incredible. And then I just, I fell off. I'm back to struggling to get out of bed by 6.45, 7 to get my kids to school. And at that point, by the time you get back in, the day started. Yeah. So needless to say, I haven't gotten a whole lot of my own writing done recently since mm. all day I'm paid to write other people's projects. Mm -hmm. But nighttime is good depending on the day, right? If there's too many thoughts bouncing around from the day, then I, I can't settle down. And I find myself just trying to check things off a list. That's why morning had worked well for me. Mm -hmm. But really, this is what I try to tell the clients that I coach. Try to use any time. Like you said, 20 minutes on your lunch break. When I had a corporate job, that was the best thing I ever did. I'd get my lunch. I'd sit in my car. I'd leave the building, you know, back when we still went places before COVID, and just eat my lunch and write in the car with no one to bother me. And that was incredible. And, and I think you can do that, too. I think if you're iterating on on a project, whether it's um, it's an article that you're writing or actually a book, if you're if you're working on it every day, you can actually capture um, productivity in 20 minutes. Um, I, I find that if I'm not doing it every day and it's been three or four days or a week since I last worked on it, it's going to take me that whole 20 minutes to remember, wait, where was I? What was I doing? What's coming up next? You know, so I mean, if you're consistent about it, I think that can work. I honestly don't do really any writing during the day on my lunch hour. Half the time I don't even eat lunch. So I'm, I'm so bad, but, um, but kudos to you for getting up at 545 for a couple months there and writing. I, I think that's fantastic. I can get up at 545. I can type at 545, but I mean my, the creative storytelling part of my brain, it's almost like it needs to use fodder from everything that's happened in the day and then at the end of the day, at night, when everything's kind of coming down and I'm reflecting on, wow, okay, this is what the world was today. That's when something kind of wakes up down here. Uh, I don't know. 
Well, I think you just brought up a really good point, though, is and I don't know if you do this actively or if it's just kind of part of your natural process, but reflection. A lot of us, myself included, by the time the day's over, I, I don't even have the energy left to sit back and reflect. It's more, oh, thank God it's done. I'm going to sleep. But if you're using that to actively reflect on events, you can turn that into that motivation and ammunition to sit down and start writing. Yeah, there's um, re related to that. That's absolutely right. There's um, there's a writing friend that I have, and we write together online once a week. This is aside from the writing communities where we all gather together. Um, what my writing friend and I do is sometimes we'll give each other a prompt, and we just write for fifteen or twenty minutes, just you know, a random prompt. You know, like like you're in this setting. This is what's going on. Go. And it's a great creativity building exercise. But another thing that, we, that we've started doing is a practice I've been using for kind of clearing everything out of your head to sort of like, um, you know, empty, empty your plate and clear off the canvas so that, so that new ideas can come up. And it's called Empty Cup. Um, so it's something that I started doing um, years ago and then I stopped for a while. And we've started doing that every few sessions where instead of doing a writing prompt, we do empty cup. And it just means it's basically like a journal that you're typing. And the idea is using this practice that I learned from one of my early mentors, um, a wonderful writer named Natalie Goldberg in her book, Writing Down the Bones. Also, Julia Cameron in her book, The Artist's Way, um, talk about these, um, these practices. It's basically a timed writing exercise where you keep your fingers moving and you just keep writing. Even if, even if you're typing the word word, W-O-R-D, if you can't get yourself started, just starting with anything that you see around you and you keep typing for 15 or 20 minutes. And it might seem like a futile exercise, but it's not. Once you actually start that, stuff comes in. And you end up talking, kind of like um, talking about and releasing um, worries, challenges, um, things that you need to do later on in the day or later in the week. And what you end up doing is kind of draining all of this stuff out of your mind so that now you have a nice, neat platform on, on which... Um, on which to write where your creativity can kind of thrive. So that's been very helpful lately too. You know, I love a few things you said there. One is the writing prompt. Um, and I'm curious how many of these prompts have ever turned into more for you. Cause I know for me, if I start, someone gives me a random idea and it really starts flowing. I'm like, I could keep going with this. And then I, I have like a note notebooks and folders full of things that could be taken from that 10 minute writing prompt and turn possibly into a full-length novel or at least uh, a sub-story of a novel. And one thing someone put me onto recently that I've been using with incredible success is this uh, Pomodoro timer. Oh, I love those. 25 minutes on, five minutes off, and just mm -hmm. like you said, just writing. Doesn't matter what's coming out. Mm -hmm. um, I've not actually typed the word word, but I will like random anything. Doesn't matter how good or bad you think it is. Just keep going for the 25 minutes. Exactly. Sometimes it might be the word brownies because you're going to make brownies that afternoon. I mean, you know, there's there's so much in our heads um, that that I think we don't need. And it just gets stored in there because of what we see visually in our experience, what we hear in our experience, what we read online, just events that are going that are that are going on in the world. Um, yeah. So the Pomodoro method, I absolutely love that. Um, 
that that seems like such a perfect time to just kind of get in enough of what you need to kind of feel like you've brought time and energy to um, to your passion project for the day. But um, but to your earlier point, yeah, I too have a stack of journals with uh, with fun ideas that I've developed from writing prompts that I never turned into novels because I I have to be I have to be really careful with um, with uh, how I'm splitting my time. You know, like I, I was talking earlier about how I have one book that's coming out in June. I have another book that's coming out in November. And then I have another novel that I've just started writing. And I try to make it so that I'm not working on more than two project, two writing projects at once, because honestly, it's it's just uh, it, it's just too much. So if I if I come up with something in one of these writing prompts and one of these writing sessions, sometimes uh, I get to the end of it and I think, oh, 20 minutes, that went by so fast, I need another 20 minutes and I wanna spend a whole week on this. Okay, well, if I do, then what am I gonna do with this project that's parked here that I finished, um, that I was working on yesterday, when, are my gonna, uh, when am I gonna work on that? You know, again, I think it comes down to, um, when it comes to writing productivity, consistency has been really, really important for me because when I don't have that daily consistency, I'm just wasting so much time going back saying, where was I going with that? And where did I leave that off? What was gonna happen next? So yeah, it's a lot, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and I think you're right. The two is kind of that magical number, although I'll always have like a screenplay or something else somewhere back there as well. But two novels, anything more than that, um, there may be, I, I know I've had writers who can work on more, but there comes a point where, at least for me, diminishing returns, the characters start to kind of bleed into each other and you, you twist your storylines and it just gets a little, especially when you're not writing eight hours a day. Yeah, that's right. I, I can't even write two novels at one time. When I say two writing projects at once, one of them, um, the book that's coming out in June, um, that's that's like pre-publication. So, I mean, I'm not actually writing that. That book has been done for a while. The cover has been done. The content on the back of the book has been done for a while. And now I'm just kind of organizing pre-launch activities so that I can share um, what the book is and why it would be interesting to the reading community. So that's, that's another pipe, as you know, you know, like the marketing and the business side of writing is very, very different from, um, from the native energy that we bring to creating stories. They're very different. I, I, I think they're both equally important, but yeah, very different. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com produced by Pen for Hire. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. While many writers are capable of writing entire novels without ever planning or getting writer's block, most need some kind of structure. Taking the raw thoughts out of your head and organizing before or during the writing process can drastically improve quality and efficiency. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get a free consultation on our author coaching services today. And now back to the interview. So you mentioned two things there I'd love for you to expand on um, in any particular order that you like. One, I'd like to learn more about the upcoming book that's coming out in June and some of the things that you do for a successful book marketing strategy. Mm, okay. Um, so the new book is called Hot House. That's it right there. That's the paperback. The cover, um, which I'm absolutely in love with, was designed by a graphic designer named Tatiana Vila of Vila Design. 
Um, so Hot House is the first of a new series. It's the first series I've ever written. And I, I really only read series um, crime novels. And I, I've been wanting to write one for the longest time. And honestly, I didn't know how to do it. I looked for courses online about how to write a series. And I looked for, um, looked for guidance from the experts. And eventually, just kind of looking at what people were doing and how they did it um, and best practices, I, um, I did finally sort of dip a toe in the water. And I think it worked out pretty well. There are three books in the series. This is the first. And the second one will be coming out, um, I think, next summer. And um, it's about a, uh, a private investigator named Mari E. And she takes on a partner. And, um, and she's, uh, she's investigating a couple of things. And that's what's interesting about thrillers, right? You have these kind of two threads. And eventually, they sort of intersect. So, um, so she's, uh, she's trying to figure out, um, get to the bottom of the blackmailing of a federal judge. And in, in so doing, she encounters um, a college student who dies suddenly, suspiciously, and two missing journalists who had been writing about the college student. And they all may or may not tie back to the blackmailed federal appellate judge. So it, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, and then in book two, Mari, the main character, sort of um, concretizes her relationship with this partner that she's sort of taken on in book one, um, uh, a guy named Derek Abernathy, and they're working together. Um, and that's a very different storyline. And then in book three, I kind of build it out too. So there's, there's actually a beginning and an end. It's only three books, but I'm really excited about it because it's my first series. And it's a way that I can create a character and live with them and get to know them on a deeper level than just a standalone thriller. So I'm really excited about it. I love it. Um, that, and that's, yeah, for someone who's written a, a ton of novels, but all standalone to venture into this series um, I know personally can be a little daunting because you have to tie it up, but not tie everything up. Exactly. And, um, and I think that that's exactly what I didn't know how to do. And I was looking for guidance or training and, uh, and my wise husband, uh, finally said at one point, um, all you read are, um, are series novels, kind of figure it out, look at the formula and, you know, kind of analyze them. And, and I did that. And I also have, I have a number of friends who write successful series and I talk to them about it, but um, yeah, you, you can't assume that someone's going to um, pick up book two in a bookstore and say, Oh, this looks interesting. Let me, let me not read that right now. And I'm going to go back and read book number one. No one does that. I certainly don't do that. You have to, you have to make, um, uh, you have to create something where, a reader can pick up any book in the series and it can work as a standalone, but keep them interested enough to find out, hey, what happened before this? What led up to this? And, and make them want to read book one. So yeah, they have to be standalones in a way, um, but with that kind of continuous um, thread of your character's evolution. Yeah, it's interesting. Absolutely. It's very similar to writing a standalone where there's mention references to things that have happened in the past. You do a brief flashback in the series. You have the benefit of not having to do that because you actually wrote all of that content in a prior book. Right. Right. Yep. It's funny. <laughs> so that one's ready to come out June 15th and you already have the second one slated for November. 
the second one is not slated for November. So um, what I'm uh, this this kind of strategy that I'm working on is um, it, there's a political thriller that I wrote called The Ritters that's going to be coming out on November 30th. Oh. And, th and then the second book in this ENA series will be coming out next summer. So it'll be June, uh, June 14th. That one is called Salt Island. And then there, okay, then so the, the book that's coming out in November, not part of the series, just another not book. part of the series. Right. So, so kind of what I'm thinking is to put out the series books in the summer in like June and standalone thrillers in November. So, okay. we'll, so we'll see how that goes. There's another standalone that I've just finished writing. It's totally not publishable yet. Um, it needs to go through a lot of editing, but thinking about maybe putting that out next November so that I have standalone books in November and the series books in June. And then we'll see what happens after that. I'm, I'm delighted, to, delighted to be working with a small publisher um, that seems to be interested in these books. They're called Indies United Publishing, and they've been wonderful so far. Love it. And that's holding yourself accountable to making sure that you're getting out at least two books a year. Yes, that I would love to. I would love to continue getting out two books a year. Yeah. So we'll see. Feel, feel the need to hold myself to a higher standard. Maybe I'll stop taking on new projects uh, <laughs> so I can make that happen. Um, Lisa, I'm definitely curious. The second part of that, your book marketing strategy. So what do you do to prepare for a launch? Um. Great question. And there's so much to say here. And I definitely have no empirical knowledge about it. Just kind of like what I've what I've figured out watching what other successful writers do. Um, what I'm doing for this launch is um, <clears throat> I have kind of a social media strategy and I also have an event strategy. So this event is coming up in June. Um, I mean, the, the book launch is coming up on June 15th. So between now and then, I have a book launch event scheduled in a bookstore. I have um, another bookstore event. I have um, a winery event, which was a lot of fun. I did a couple of those last year um, at Viance Winery and also Twining Vine Winery. I'm going to be on a radio program, um, the morning show um, with KSVY in Sonoma, 91.3, with a, um, a host named Marsha Maycomer. She's a wonderful, she's a wonderful host, and she has a wonderful morning show where she interviews um, a, not just authors, but a lot of authors. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to kind of, um, my strategy is to kind of have different types of launches, to kind of gather in potential readers from different types of communities, you know, radio, TV, um, uh, bookstores, wineries, because there are lots of different types of readers. Uh, I mean, crime is a very popular type of fiction, and I want to, I want to attract as many potential readers as I can, while also looking at who my community is. You know, I mean, who am I sending my email newsletter out? Who's responding to my social media posts? To know who, who, um, who, who is interested in my books right now, and making sure that I continue to give them good content. When I post something on social media, checking the um, checking the analytics to see who's opening who's opening that, who's opening those links, so that I can sort of study what do these um, what do these potential readers want to see from me. And then I actually ask the question too. In my newsletter, um, I'll say, if you like this content, write back and let me know. If there's something else that you want me to cover, let me know, and I, I will certainly try to do that. I love that. That's um, that's really unique. That's definitely breaking down the walls, engaging with your audience, and really taking their feedback where someone can say, oh, my goodness, I asked Lisa to write about that. 
Exactly. And I, th and I think what that does is it tells people that you're listening. And, and I think that's what they want. You know, I think a, an important part of marketing, you know, marketing is different from publicity and, and from promotion. A lot of marketing is knowing who your market is. I, I mean, what's interesting um, with my, um, my Instagram and my TikTok accounts, for example, is um, I write in my profile that I write about um, books, cats and self-care. Any post they see is there's a 95% chance that it's going to be in one of those three buckets. So a lot of the people that follow me on TikTok like my cats. I have I have two amazing cats, Coffee and Marmalades. They're they're hilarious, and I have videos of them. Sometimes still photographs of them, and that has nothing to do with writing. That's just something that's kind of um, indigenous to me. It's something about my personal life. Um, and uh, and then also self care um, is something that I've been writing about and speaking about a lot more lately, self-care for writers and also self-care for entrepreneurs. And then of course, book promotion. You know, I, I'll, I'll create a graphic, um, a, probably a number of graphics um, that have my, my book cover on it coming up in June for Hot House. Um, maybe new reviews that people are doing for it, editorial reviews or even reader reviews, um, things that kind of remind people that this book is coming out. You know, I mean, what what we're really asking of readers is um, is kind of a lot. It, we're asking a reader to not just buy the book, but read the book and review the book. And you know, it's it's different than turning on Netflix and watching a movie. You're not asking for two hours of a reader's time. You're asking for weeks of their time to actually invest and read it. Uh, and, and read your story and then write feedback about it after. I mean, so that's really asking a lot. So I think knowing who your audience is, making sure that you're giving them um, what they want to see and continue giving them what they want to see. And then there's a good chance that they might actually buy your book, show up to one of your events, develop a, a relationship with you and then review it. So yeah, it's, it's an ongoing learning process for me and I'm still right in the middle of it. Absolutely. And the, you brought out a good point about the time investment for a reader. It's, it's not also just the time investment of two hours versus weeks. It's a solitary commitment, right? If you're going to binge watch eight hours of Netflix, you can do that with another person for other people. When you're reading, there's no one else in the room but you, or I mean, you hope there's no one else in the room with you, or it's going to be kind of hard to concentrate. That's such an excellent point, Matt. You're you're insightful. Yeah, that's uh, it. It is solitary, and similar to that, it's very solitary. What we do as writers, too. I mean, that's why writers need self care and need a lot of encouragement. The writing path can be challenging, and it and it's alone. I mean, you know, what whatever we're learning um, about the world whatever we're learning from our relationships and the people around us, it all kind of goes into this machine that has to sort of crank out the writing on our own. It's, it's us sitting alone in the dark, you know, listening to that creative voice and what, what it wants to tell us. So yeah, it's very solitary. That's right. And I would imagine that played a part in your, in your shift or your focus on self-care Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com produced by Pen for Hire. Social media isn't about simply posting links to your book multiple times on a day on every platform you can think of. It is a complex process that takes time and strategy as well as content and purpose. Creating and managing social media campaigns can feel like a full-time job, especially if you don't already love doing it. 
Don't wait until your book is done to think about how to tell the world about it. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get your free consultation today. And now back to the interview. Um, so please tell us a little bit about what got you into focusing on that, how you're applying it for writers and entrepreneurs, because as a business owner, I know entrepreneurs and writers, very similar mindset. It can be very solitary, it can be very alone and very grueling. <laughs> exactly. I, I've, been, I've been calling um, kind of a set of practices sort of strategic self-care because um, because it's a, it's a very short set of practices that are, in, that are intended to kind of um, help business owners and writers stop self-sabotaging our writing path or our path to um, business innovation. Um, and I say strategic because they're very short and they're very easy to do. You know, I mean, for, for people who aren't spending time um, caring for their vessel or caring for their creative heart um, and energy, um, they're probably not doing it because of a number of common misconceptions. They feel like they don't have time to do it. You know, I mean, there's so much that we have, um, that we spend our time on. I, oh God, I can't just, I, I can't add one more thing to the pile. Um, or they might feel like there's just not enough potential return on their investment. Like what's the value of it? Why should I even do that? So the strategic self-care that I talk about are just a few, um, a, a, a few ideas, um, to kind of bring more happiness to the path and to give yourself some encouragement so that you want to keep going. Writing is difficult. And, um, and a lot of times, so one of the things that I talk about is celebrating small wins. It's easy to celebrate a, um, a, a big win, um, kind of a big career milestone um, or, uh, or a writing success. You know, you sell a book, you get an agent. But um, there can be a really long time in between those, um, those, those fence posts. And so smaller wins are things that are worth acknowledging. You know, like you, um, you send an email to a publisher and you might get a rejection back from them, but it might be a personal rejection and they might say that there's something that they really like about your work. I think that's a, sm a small win that's worth ce celebrating or at least acknowledging or you get an article published, or you get, um, you get a short story accepted for publication in a literary journal. Even though it might take two years before it comes out, you got a yes in a sea of no's. You got a yes of all of the people that submitted. That's worth celebrating. And I think when we keep feeding ourselves these tidbits of encouragement, it makes us want to keep going. Um, there are a couple other things that I talk about, like acknowledging your losses. You know what I mean? So a loss for a writer is rejection. Rejections are kind of like the dirty little secret about the writing journey that um, that people don't talk about, um, but it's it's really an important kind of growing pain to stealing yourself um, against that uh, that energy and learning not to take it personally, so that you keep churning out new work. No, this this didn't um, this place didn't accept your work. Fine, here are three more that I had lined up. I'm just going to send it out. You know, I mean, so we're. Um, we, we spend a lot of time kind of getting back up on our horse and creating new work and creating new avenues for potential publication. But um, what I've been thinking about a lot is acknowledging those losses like rejection. I'm not saying wallow in them for a week, but um, but being authentic and spending a couple minutes saying, wow, that stinks. I was really going for that and I didn't get that. That doesn't feel good. 
you know, and just sitting there for a second to be authentic, to be real with yourself. And maybe it might be an, an opportunity to, um, to kind of self-reflect and say, is that really where I want to be sending my work? I mean, do I, how important to me is this? And maybe in that self-reflection, you might realize, no, I don't really want to be doing that in the first place. So maybe that rejection wasn't so bad. Maybe it was instructive. Maybe it's going to be an impetus um, for me to kind of change course a little bit and go in this direction. And I think that self-reflection can be, can be really healthy for, uh, for writers, certainly for me. Anyway, I could talk all day about strategic self-care, but, but yes, you're right, Matt, that, um, that the needs that we have um, as creators, as writers are, are very similar to the needs of entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of times we have a vision and the vision is out here and we're just going to keep going forward until we get it. And um, sometimes there are things that derail us along the way and taking care of ourselves when we get derailed and kind of pausing can be, um, can be really healthy for us and maybe even make us happier to be on the path in the first place. Absolutely. That is, that is so needed in the world. I, I thank you for putting that together and sharing it <clears throat> with the people in your world because that could be the difference between someone continuing to write and publishing a book um, or never writing again. Exactly. I see so many things on Twitter, you know, like the writing community on Twitter is, is really big and really active. Um, and I see a lot of people posting on Twitter late at night about, I got my, I got my fifth rejection this week and I don't think I'm going to move forward. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I think if someone posts something like that on Twitter, they're looking for responses. They're looking for um, for replies, for care, for encouragement, for other writers to say, oh, yeah, that, that happened to me last week that I sent my, my manuscript out to three more places and, um, and a publisher asked me um, to see 50 pages. You know, so there, there is lots of encouragement available. But, yeah, it is, uh, it, it is very ubiquitous. And basically, we all need each other. Absolutely. Lisa, it is always phenomenal chatting with you. Um, so insightful. I, I mean, I can't wait to see what you're up to the next time. Thank but you. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, please let them know where to find the books, where to find you, where to find more on your self-care, all of that good stuff. Um, <clears throat> thank you. So my website, lisatolls.com, is a way to stay in touch with me and my books. You can also look for me on Instagram or, um, or TikTok and Facebook. Um, and my publisher is Indies United. So if you wanted to read something about Hot House, um, Matt, should I put a link in the chat? Would that be appropriate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, give me two seconds here. I don't think I, I don't think I can do that. But um, uh, anyway, it's um, it's IndiesUnited.net slash hot dash house. This is the book. It's called Hot House. It's coming out on June 15th indiesunited.net slash hot dash house. And I put it on, in there for you. Oh, thank you. And on that page, you can see the book trailer. I love making book trailers. You can also read a sneak peek of, I think, the first two chapters. I have some editorial reviews in there and then also a synopsis. Um, so I hope people enjoy it. And Matt, Matt I'm delighted, um, delighted to be here talking to you again. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I really enjoy your show. So thank you.
same here. Thank you for getting up early in the morning, California time to be here. Course, I appreciate it. Um, everyone listening, definitely head over to IndiesUnited.net. United, it's in the chat. Um, also check out the rest of Lisa's books. I'm sure once you start reading them, she has more than enough in her library to keep you reading for quite some time. So if you're going away, we're headed towards spring, pick up one or two of Lisa's books. Head over to PenForHireNYC.com if you have any questions about the show or want to get in touch with me. And we will catch you all on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you.